Good morning. Welcome again. Uh, we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. It's the, pretty much the very beginning of the New Testament. If you have a Bible, turn there. Keep your Bible open in front of you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you're new to the Bible, we call the big numbers chapters, the little numbers verses. I'll read Matthew six nineteen to 24. This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are the greatest treasure in all of reality. Help us to value you the way that we should. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sam Houston, if you're new to Texas, Sam Houston's kind of a big deal. He was one of the heroes of the Texas Revolution. Uh, He spent most of his life as a pretty rough and wild man. Uh, But he became a Christian at the age of 60, and his life changed pretty dramatically. Uh, After he became a Christian, Sam Houston wanted to pay half of the salary of his local pastor. Uh, Somebody thought that was pretty overboard. They asked him, why would you want to do that? And he said this, my pocketbook was baptized too. Sam Houston understood that embracing Christ should change our lives. Uh, Not just in the abstract, not just in uh, quote-unquote spiritual things, uh, not just in your innermost private being, but he understood that embracing the gospel of Jesus changes our behavior in very practical ways, and particularly that it changes what we do with our wealth. Jesus constantly teaches about money. Jesus understood that whether you have it or not, money and wealth have a unique ability not just to reveal your heart, but to control your heart. Jesus often talked about wealth and money with his disciples because he loved his disciples. Jesus loves us enough to show us the great spiritual slavery that can come with fixating on the wealth of this world and the great spiritual freedom that can come with giving it away in the pursuit of true, lasting wealth in the world to come. How we view and spend our money is one of the most important and tangible expressions of the Christian's faith in Jesus. It's one of the quickest ways that we show whether we really believe what we say we believe. I realize it's a sensitive subject and that many churches 
have abused what the Bible says about money. But please understand that I and your elders and Jesus and God want to encourage you toward greater joy and greater freedom with regard to wealth. Because we know, they know, that the love of money so often starves us and enslaves us. We've been saying in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching what our lives should look like for those who can and do call God our Father who art in heaven. Uh, Those who can call God their Father in heaven, Jesus has been teaching us, they have a new way of dealing with things like failure. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have a new way of dealing with conflict, a new way of dealing with anger and lust and marriage. They have a new way of approaching charity and prayer. But now we also see that they have a new way of approaching and handling their wealth. When you know and believe that God is a kind and a generous father who knows what you need and will give it to you, you approach money in a very different way than the world does. Here in verses 19 to 24, Jesus is teaching that when you enjoy and embrace the Father's blessing, you become free from slavery to the accumulation of wealth. What Jesus calls laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. But the amazing thing here, and this is easy to miss, the amazing thing here is that Jesus does not just say, hey, why do you care so much about money? You should just stop caring about all this stuff. Uh, You should be better than this. You should be more spiritual than this. Uh, Jesus doesn't say what Buddha taught, that we need to become free from desire, that we need to become free from attachment to the things of this world, to things that are pleasurable. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus actually says, you're storing up the wrong kind of treasure. The problem is not that you want treasure. The problem is not that you want to be wealthy. The problem is not that you want to have joy and security and peace. Jesus says, you're looking for it in the wrong place. He says, I want to show you where you can find real riches. Don't store up treasure on earth. Instead, Jesus says, store up your treasure in heaven. In heaven, he says, there's an eternal world of joy and pleasure awaiting all those whom the Father forgives and adopts. And so Jesus is saying that what you do with your fleeting wealth now has a great deal to do with the extent to which you are going to enjoy the real wealth to come then, forever and ever and ever. As one author puts it, writing about the Bible and money, he says, Jesus is commanding us here to live for the line. Think of an infinite line, not to live for the dot. Live for the line, not for the dot. The dot is the fleeting, minuscule, fading life and wealth of earth. The line is the never-ending life and wealth of heaven and the new creation. Now the challenge is that you can see the dot. You can check its balance on your phone. You can stack it up in your safe or bury it in your backyard if you're particularly paranoid. You can get emails about it from Zillow, and they even include fuzzy pictures of your house on Google Street View. But you cannot right now see the line. And so because you can see and check and keep track of the wealth of this world we tend to assume that that means that the wealth of this world is somehow more real. It's more secure. It's what actually 
matters. And on the flip side, because you cannot yet see the wealth of the age to come, we tend to assume that it doesn't really matter, that it's not worth paying attention to, that maybe if we're being somewhat honest with ourselves, it's really kind of a fantasy, kind of a myth. But Jesus is saying, build your life around accumulating eternal wealth. Don't build your life around accumulating earthly wealth because in reality, this heavenly wealth is the only wealth that ultimately lasts. Jesus says, the wealth of the age to come is more real than your house. The wealth of this world does not and cannot last. He says, moths and rust corrupt it. Thieves break in and steal it. Even in our high-tech world, Our wealth can be stolen, whether it's through outright robbery or more subtle means like inflation. But even if you manage to somehow hang on to your wealth, you're super duper smart and savvy, or you make really good investments and you never actually lose any of it, even if you can manage to do that somehow, there's no guarantee that you'll actually be able to enjoy it. And in any case, even if you manage to hang on to it, even if you manage to enjoy it to the full In any case, you will eventually be put into your grave just as poor as you were when you came out of your mother's womb. You will have nothing. You will take nothing with you. Heaven is the only place where wealth cannot be degraded, where it cannot be lost or stolen, where it does not come with a qualification that returns are not guaranteed. So Jesus says, live and spend and give for the sake of the wealth that is truly secure rather than for the wealth that is ultimately fragile and fleeting. Jesus says in verse 21 that what and where you treasure reveals the true state of your heart. Our priorities, the things we love, our very selves even. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that wealth has a way of directing our hearts, whatever the kind of wealth is that you're living for. If you love money, if you love the money that you have, or you love the money that you don't have, Jesus says your hearts are going to chase after it. You're going to sacrifice your integrity and your families and your witness in order to get more of it, in order to hold on to more of it. Even though Jesus tells us it's not going to last. It's not going to satisfy. But he says, if your heart is set on the ultimate and infinite treasure of God himself, the Father who has given us his greatest treasure, Jesus, if that's where your heart is set, then Jesus is saying you're going to give and spend your wealth in a way to honor him. You're going to show that the world that ultimately matters to you is not this world, as wonderful as it is, but the even better world to come. Jesus is saying, give away your earthly wealth now. That's what he means by store up your treasure in heaven. He says, give away your earthly wealth in order to gain heavenly wealth later. The first reason he gives for doing this is because earthly wealth doesn't last. And so he says, what a terrible place to put your hope. What a foolish way to live your life for something that you know is not going to last. But now the second reason he says that we should give for the sake of receiving heavenly treasure is because earthly wealth has a way of deceiving us. It doesn't just kind of direct us into something that doesn't really last. 
It also deceives us. Verses 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So he's talking here about having a good eye versus a bad eye. He's saying that our eyes are the means by which we see the world around us, the way that we navigate uh, our lives here on earth. Uh, And so I think the reason that Jesus is still talking about money, it might sound like first he's totally gone on some weird tangent with a strange idiom. Uh, He's actually, I think, still talking about wealth and money, not just because he's talking about it right before and right after, but also because this language about the good eye and the bad eye, uh, those are both idioms. Uh, They're idioms about giving. Literally, where it says good eye, it actually says single eye, like whole one eye. Uh, It's an eye that's focused on only one thing. Uh, And the other one, he says, is an evil eye, literally. Uh, In the Bible, but also in the ancient world around the Bible more generally, uh, these were uh, idioms. When you said that somebody had a single eye, uh, it was often a way of saying they were generous. When you said that somebody had an evil eye, it was often a way of saying that they were stingy. They were jealous of what other people had. There's a bunch of examples of that in the Old Testament. And so Jesus is saying, I think, that living in a stingy way, living in a jealous way, having the evil eye, the bad eye, Jesus is saying that living that kind of way deceives you. You're actually walking in darkness, even though you might be telling yourself, uh, convincing yourself that you're walking in light. Maybe you're telling yourself, well, this is a private matter. Nobody has a right to tell me what to do with my money. Maybe you're making excuses. You're saying, well, no, I'm, I'm just being frugal. I'm being responsible. I've worked very hard. I deserve this. Uh, maybe you're telling yourself, well, this is for my children. I'm saving up for them. They need to have lots of opportunities in this world. But Jesus is saying, watch out. He's saying, if you think that greed and stinginess is not a problem for you, if you think that churches and pastors who teach the Bible have no right to speak to what you're doing with your money, Jesus is saying you're in great spiritual danger. How great is the darkness? Earthly treasure has a way of deceiving our hearts. If we've got wealth and money wrong, then just about everything in our lives will be wrong too. Money touches just about every aspect of our lives here on earth. Here's the third reason that Jesus gives us for giving sacrificially. He says that earthly treasure demands your heart. It demands your heart. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so Jesus, just like he told us, you can either store up your treasure in heaven or you can store it up on earth. Uh, You can either have a good eye or a bad eye. So now he's also saying you can either serve God or you can serve money. Pick one. There's no middle ground. There's no way of doing both. Now, Jesus is not saying that money or wealth are inherently bad or evil or that we should have nothing to do with them. Money is one of the greatest, most useful beneficial inventions in human history. But what Jesus is saying, he's using this stark metaphorical language to communicate this. When you live for money, whether you have it or not, you are being mastered. It's your Lord. When you live for money, when you build your life around it, you are no longer seeking the blessing of our Father who art in heaven. 
you are now seeking the blessing of our stuff, which art on earth. Money can master us in a lot of different ways. Uh, It's mastering us when we think we need it to be secure, when we think we need it to be liked, when we think we need it to be happy. Another way you might consider whether or not money is becoming your master is this. How do you think about people who have more money than you? Are you angry? Are you jealous? Are you spiteful? How do you think about people who have less money than you? Do you look down on them? Do you blame them? Do you think you're morally superior to them? Do you ignore them? Money so easily masters us. It becomes the treasure of our hearts. But Jesus is saying God should be your master. And God's not the kind of master that wealth has so easily become for us so often. God does not demand more, 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 more from us. God does not uh, never satisfy us. God does not wear us out. God does not rob our joy. Think about all the time you've spent, all the arguments you've had, uh, all the hours you've lost sleeping because you're worried about money, because you're not sure what you're going to do. God's not like that. So Jesus is saying, don't treasure earthly wealth and assets and home equity. He's saying, treasure God. God is our greatest treasure. He's the only thing that can be ultimately our greatest treasure. And he's come to live among us in Jesus. Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. On the cross, we see the ultimate picture of this sacrificial generosity. He didn't just give us money. He gave us his life. He didn't purchase us things. He purchased us heaven. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is our treasure. And when he's our treasure, we can joyfully and gratefully part with our earthly treasure for his sake. That's the why of giving. It's the why of storing up heavenly treasure. Because earthly treasure so easily directs your hearts, it so easily deceives your hearts, and it so easily demands our hearts. But what does the way that you think about money, the way you use it and spend it and give it, what is it saying about where your heart is at? If you're visiting us today, I'm really glad you're here. We're really glad you're with us. But for those of us who call this church their church, what does it mean for us? As you've probably noticed in the bulletin for the last few months, our church has had a significant uh, downfall, not downfall, uh, deficit in our budget. Uh, It's becoming a significant one, not something that we're really worried about right now, but it's not a minor one. Some of that is because of the many new expenses that come with having our own building and repairing our own building. But some of it's because giving has gone down. I and we elders certainly realize that our economy is in a very precarious position, that the prices of many of our day-to-day items have gone to absurd new heights, that the future is very uncertain. Many of us are giving generously, we're giving sacrificially, even with inflation and economic uncertainty. And so I and we thank you very sincerely. 
But some of us today need to hear what Jesus is saying here. And some of us need to prayerfully consider before God how we might make adjustments to our lives and our spending and our priorities so that we cannot give just what you can easily spare without really noticing, uh, not in a way that doesn't really hurt, but in a way that's actually sacrificial, the way that it's supposed to be, particularly toward the work of your own local church. If we're not willing to meaningfully sacrifice our earthly wealth for the sake of God's kingdom, that means that our wealth is probably controlling our hearts in a way that Jesus says is actually really bad for you. It's really bad for those around you. Now, why should we prioritize the local church in our giving? There's a lot of things and a lot of places and a lot of institutions that want our money, that need our money. Why uh, would I be so bold to say, you should prioritize this church if this is your church home. Here's why. The church is the institution that God has created to spread his kingdom here on earth. Look around. In some ways, uh, church is very unimpressive. It's very boring. It's never going to be as fun as drinking or partying or doing all kinds of things you can do in Austin. Uh, But this is actually where God's kingdom is really happening. Through all of you, look around at all of each other. This is where God is at work. This is where God has promised his blessing to truly transform the world. The church is the outpost of God's kingdom on earth. It is divine in a way that no other institution is. Later on in Matthew, Jesus is going to say this. He's going to say, I will build my church. He says, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Nowhere else in the Bible will you hear anything like those kinds of promises, anything like that kind of confidence about any other kind of human institution or organization. There are a lot of organizations in the world that look much more impressive than the church does. They're not going to last. They never have, and they never will. The church will last. Even though the church is a divine institution with these amazing promises about its future, about what God's doing through it, It still exists on this side of heaven. And so it still runs on money. Uh, The church needs material resources, just like the tabernacle and the temple did in the Old Testament. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, God's people were required to give 10% of their income to support God's chosen means of revealing his glory to the world. And so in a similar kind of way, this local church needs money to carry out our vision of sharing God's love and God's word in South Austin. So many people here who need to hear about Jesus. You're going to hear a lot more about generosity and wealth and giving in a few months because just like I warned you and told you when we were looking at this building, we're going to ask you guys for money. We're going to raise money so that we can renovate this building so that we can make it uh, better suited to carrying out this mission and this vision of reaching lots of people in Austin with the gospel. So we're going to be raising uh, a bunch of money on top of our normal budget in order to be able to do those things. How much are we asking you to give? Uh, I can't tell you that. Elders can't tell you that. That's between you and the Lord. Uh, But like I've already said, Scripture says giving should be sacrificial. It should cost us. It should mean that your standard of living is lower than you would like it to be. That you are giving up things that you and your family would really like to be doing or really like to be having. Uh, We do this as an expression of gratitude for God's mercy 
as an expression of our submission to him as the owner of all of our stuff. 100% of your wealth is actually God's. We do it as an expression of our trust that he'll meet all of our needs. It's similar in a lot of ways to why we stop working one day out of seven. Even though we could, even though a lot of us want to, we need to show that we trust God to take care of us. Now, personally, uh, lots of Christians, lots of people in the PCA disagree about this. Personally, I'm not convinced that New Testament believers are required to give 10% like the Old Testament believers were. Uh, But I think it's certainly a good goal. I think it's certainly a good baseline, perhaps. Not only because most of us have way more disposable income than almost anybody in history, than most people living in the world today, but also and especially because with the coming of Jesus... We have so much more to be grateful for than the Old Testament believers did uh, because we know so much more. We can see so much more clearly the love of God for us and his concern to meet all of our needs uh, for our bodies and our minds and our souls. Uh, Even if we're not required to give 10%, uh, we certainly have much more reason to give as much as we can to what God's doing in this world. For some of us, giving a few percent would be profoundly sacrificial. Think of uh, the widow giving away her two little pennies. And Jesus saying, wow, look at what she did. Uh, For others of us, giving away 20% of our wealth would hardly register. But we learn in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians that this giving to the work of the kingdom should not only be sacrificial, like eat your vegetables, you're going to like this, you just have to do it, uh, but also that it should be cheerful, uh, that you should want to do it, that God actually is not interested in you giving in a begrudging way or a stingy way. He wants you to do it happily. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, each one must decide in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. I'm not going to lock the doors back there and give you guys a hard time until you do what we want. Uh, Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, So we're asking you to please take time to consider, if you haven't recently, to consider before God what he might be calling you to give in a way that is significant and sacrificial. And even, yes, it's possible, even cheerful. If you are already cultivating this posture of openness to giving what the Lord wants and you're following through on it, that's great. And we're really grateful for that. Thank you for doing that. Please help the rest of us, encourage us, remind us how wonderful it is to be free from the love of money. But seriously, considering before God what we should be giving is a scary thing. Many of us hear these kinds of things and we start thinking, I cannot possibly cut anything else. I cannot possibly give anything more. This guy is crazy. But remember, Jesus spoke constantly about money, not because he's trying to ruin our lives, not because he's trying to destroy us or make us miserable, but because he knows what's good for us. Jesus knows how dangerous our love of money and things and comfort and security, he knows how dangerous that kind of love can be to our souls. He knows how quickly we can make excuses about how we need it, how our kids need it, how we have to provide all these opportunities for them. Jesus talks about money a lot because he loves his disciples a lot. We give in response to what he's given to us. We can experience the joy and the contentment of freedom from money's mastery by doing something as countercultural as giving away a significant portion of our wealth. Why do we do it? Not only because God is our master who owns everything, who gives us everything, that's true. 
God's your master. God owns everything you have. You should respond accordingly. But that's not really the main reason you do it. And it's not even just because God is your father who loves you, who knows what you need, who will always provide what you need. That's really important, but that, even that is not the full reason. It's also because the father who loves you and the father who provides for you, the father himself is your treasure. That's the ultimate reason that you do this. You do this because God is valuable to you. He's more valuable than anything else. Anything that this world can possibly give you, God is infinitely more valuable. Let's pray. Father, thank you that our greatest blessing and our greatest joy is in you. You are entirely and infinitely satisfied and happy in yourself. You lack nothing. You need nothing. And you invite us into your own fullness of blessing and joy in life. Teach us to stop looking for life and joy in the little fleeting things of this world. Help us to find it in you. And may that show itself in the way we give our time and our money and our talents. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.